In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome to this week's edition of Moving Forward. My guest today is Melissa Love. Melissa is the co-founder of Mosaic, which we're going to be hearing a lot more about in just a second, but first introduction. So Melissa, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. So tell our listeners a little bit about your journey to found Mosaic and what the results have been. Okay. Um, Founding Mosaic was quite unexpected. I never imagined that I would be um, creating an institute for human development that had a strong focus on yoga and metaphysical development. Um, it came from, I'd say, a place of desperation over five years ago, living on a uh, desolate island in the middle of the winter. Where the- <laughs> I'm sorry, just because I hate winter myself. So I, I know that feeling and I know that drive like this has to change now. <laughs> yes, indeed. There must be a shift. Um, after 65 straight days of rain and winds, you know, 60 miles an hour, temperatures below freezing, you don't go out much and, uh, was really craving a connection with, with community. And, um, I would call it divine inspiration and intuition just took over and said, you need to move back to the, the sunny side of the United States to San Diego and create a place where people can connect and see themselves in one another. Uh, through yoga and other means of spiritual development practices at a time in their life where it may not be so common. You know, I think a lot of people pursue a spiritual opening maybe midlife or um, in the sunset years. And so this was a calling to say, let's bring 20, 30, 40 somethings together uh, to reflect to one another and, and build a community off of that. So I know you guys have had a lot of success. So you started out with yoga. Is that correct? That's right. We started out with yoga and Reiki and leadership development, all three of them, but yes, in a 400-square-foot apartment. Um, Wow. (laughs) Yeah, we could fit 12 people in there, and then we slowly grew. We're now in our third space in San Diego and our first space in Charlottesville. Wow. So you've expanded quite a bit, and I know you mentioned Mosaic Institute of Human Development, so that's kind of the next step into the journey. Is that right? That's right. You know, when we founded Mosaic five years ago, uh, it started off as a sole proprietorship owned by me. And then thankfully, uh, two of my soulmates and greatest companions in life decided to join. And so then we changed it and we, we named it Mosaic Institute for Human Development in the beginning. We had the vision of something much bigger, but as one of my spiritual lessons have been this lifetime is you cannot rush this process. And oh. so you have to start... Um, at a certain point and build a certain level of mastery, if you will, not to call ourselves masters by any means, but you cannot go from A to Z in this process of spiritual development without actually experiencing each step along the way, acquiring a certain amount of embodied wisdom, and then being able to propel forward based on the vibration obtained from that wisdom. And so we started with yoga uh, and some Reiki and and leadership development, but where we're headed is into a much larger educational center around spiritual development and using different pathways, yoga being one of them, metaphysics being one of them, and philosophy being one of them, uh, to lead people towards their authentic uh, path of spiritual awakening. 
I love that. One of the things I wanted to circle back to that you hit on just a second ago, because I know it's been a really hard lesson for me too, is the not to rush the process. I call it not pushing the river. So how did you learn that lesson in patience and how do you cultivate that? Because that's something that I know I still struggle with. And I think a lot of us do when you make up your mind and yes, I'm going to do X, you expect X to show up or I do anyway right now. So how do you learn to, to take it one step at a time and then view the perspective from there? Right. Well, I'd say it's still an ongoing process. As you just noted, it is an intrinsic drive in me to see something, have the vision and go after it and use my discipline and willpower to make it happen. Um, And so I am continually humbled in that lesson throughout my path. And I think one of the most uh, applicable practices to learning to accept that the path of development will unfold when you are truly ready is an idea of humility. And it's embodying a humble nature towards God or universe or divine or that larger power and saying that, wow, there's no way I could possibly know all that stands in the way and all the potential that exists for me. And so I must trust that there is something else that is wiser and is more expansive and I will simply follow it by asking to be guided by it with a humble heart. I love that. I a couple of things strike me about that. First and foremost, it is so not the American way. We're taught, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and willpower will get you everywhere, but there's such an unfolding and I've heard Oprah Winfrey say the universe can dream a bigger dream for me than I can for myself and the allowing is just what allows that what, you know, to be cliché, but allows that to continue to grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a truth to it that no matter what you do, you still won't be able to manifest the authentic spiritual development that you crave, no matter how much you use your willpower and all of those other tools. So it's again, just a surrender to the fact of, oh yeah, I'm I'm also limited in my power because if I'm going to grow spiritually, that means I'm growing in divine power and divine essence. And that doesn't come from within me. It comes from all around me and flows through me. But the source is not me. I like that because I, it's funny because it's such a contrast to to white knuckle something and just push, push, push versus a- allowing the angelic realm or, you know, the higher powers to guide you. They're two separate boxes. Absolutely. So circling back to the education and the development. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? You had mentioned, you know, the idea of, of yoga and spiritual awakening for 20, 30, maybe 40 year olds. Is that the same audience you have when growing the Institute and teaching metaphysics? Well, actually, that's one of the audience, but we also are feeling very called to serve uh, children and more, I would say, along the lines of of 10 to 18-year-olds. Um, you know, a lot of the development for kids happens in the beginning in the early years is purely physical from yeah. a spiritual perspective, chakras and higher selves and all of that isn't even fully developed till at least seven and usually around 12 years old. And so we are feeling called though. We all, Ryan, Ryan and I, we have, uh, reflecting on our education as children realized there was a void. We were never exposed to all of this 
um, understanding of a spiritual world and practices. If your parents aren't embodying it and teaching it, chances are you aren't going to learn it or learn it very deeply. Right. And we believe it's an excellent complement to developing the mind and the intellect to cre- create and cultivate more of a whole sense of being. And frankly, the children that are being born today are much more attuned to that realm, that spiritual celestial realm, knowing that they are not just physical beings. And so we need to meet them with the education necessary to remind them of the power within them so that they can take this world to a place of transformation where it's it's craving to be led to. So children is also a, a major focus of this education center moving forward. I love that piece. One of the reasons that I've heard so many studies about children, junior high, high school ages that have been something, you know, a little bit more simple, but taught to meditate, how much better they do the statistics about how fights in their school have gone down. People are happier overall. And it's just one of those things that I think is really the missing link. So I'm really excited for you guys in the next part of your journey. Oh, thank you. We are too. We are too. Hopefully we can meet the need. (laughs) I I think you will. I know you teach metaphysics. So what are your particular gifts? My particular gifts are faith, humility, and surrender, actually. Um, As far as the metaphysical healing properties and what that means, there are far more gifted healers out there than I Um, I believe that I was just given a spark of faith that has allowed me to be somewhat inspiring to others because I do come from a very open place without feeling like I need to hide or protect much. And that vulnerability allows for others to perhaps trust something within and see that what exists in me can exist in them too. And the only thing that may be differentiating us at this point in time is I just have a faith that there is a deeper, um, more meaningful way to live your life if you access the source of divine within yourself. And I work every day to surrender to that more deeply and to make my heart and my mind more humble to being guided towards where I'm called to serve, not necessarily where I want to serve. Those are two different things. Yeah. Okay. That was big. And and, and that was something that was never cultivated in me or it wasn't something ever taught to me. It it just kind of came out of me, uh, which I would then attribute to it just being a gift, a gift from the divine. I like that. And I liked piece, a piece of what you said that really strikes me about you and your two other co-founders as well. Authenticity and being in that vulnerable space, either saying I don't know or just showing up as you rather than being worried about someone liking you or if they are going to one up you or whatever it happens to be is so inspiring for other people and allows them to be pure and authentic as well. And so I think that 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 is perfect. And that is really, truly, truly a gift. I wanted to ask you, how did you find your own spiritual path? What were the first steps that you were able to take? Or what were the the things that showed up in your life that allowed you to walk down and to come to the position that you are today? 
It was, uh, I would, the word desperation is coming to mind and, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it, yeah. it, that sounds cliche, doesn't it? That no, is just, it sounds familiar say. is why I'm laughing. Cause I'm like, yeah, you know, when I've tried every other door except this one that I don't want to open, that's yeah. when it kind of comes together, I think. Absolutely. And for me, it was um, physical sickness. I was diagnosed with cancer at 21. And there was a time where I didn't know it was the fastest killing cancer, also the most curable. But it was about three weeks or a month of not knowing if it had taken over my body or not. And so talk about an incredibly humbling and vulnerable experience. So that was step one of just kind of facing that that this physical life may be over at the age of 21. And secondarily, it was a tremendous sickness of my um, mental and emotional body or sheath that we would call it in metaphysics. Um, I had a lot of emotional suffering from early on as a child. Mm-hmm. And um, that was manifesting itself in both physical and mental ways that impeded my ability to enjoy or even be peaceful in day-to-day life. And so something had to change or I knew that I I was dying and that was very clear to me. So it was time to embrace something else. Wow. And so what were the, did you start with yoga? Did you start with a certain, okay. I started with yoga was the first practice um, that I was led to a very simple, restorative, calming, candlelit yoga class, which is then what I ended up teaching Mm -hmm. and end up and I'm teaching now. Um, it, it, it's provided such a nurturing space of peace and quiet with someone else that you trust guiding you to that peace and guiding you to that place of quiet so that you can then learn to create it for yourself. And uh, that, that was one of the, the biggest, most impactful gifts I've received is simply being a part of that very first yoga class, which I'll never forget. Mm, I like that. So as you've gone along your path, what are some of your personal spiritual practices? What have you cultivated? Right. Well, you know, I think it's important for people to know that it shifts along the way and that's okay. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. been on this path for 15 years and my practices are different. Um, The experiences from the practices are different and it's important to not try to uh, pigeonhole yourself to one particular discipline, if you will, or one particular practice forever. You know, some of us like to find the formula that works and then say we're not going to change it. For example, my grandma ate oatmeal every single day for breakfast for 45 years. (laughs) Just to know if that served her or not, I don't know, but I'm just saying that some of us have that want to just have a habit, find that it works, and just just not deviate. But what I've learned in these 15 years of spiritual development is your needs and your lessons and the gifts all are shifting and changing constantly as you are growing in vibration and going growing in consciousness so there needs to main, you need to maintain this fluidity this openness to different practices at different times and so in the beginning for someone just starting out just a simple meditation just 5 minutes 2 minutes sitting yeah. down and just saying i'm going to shut everything else off and i'm going to listen and just like the muscles of the body the muscles of meditation start to grow stronger and you start to receive more of the benefits of sitting in peace and quiet and literally being able to know what that feels like. For me today, it's grown to such a level uh, that I never thought possible because I didn't know what ex- that the practices I have today existed. And those practices today are literally using light using different spectrums and colors of light that are imbued with a divine consciousness or a divine attribute, if you will, and calling that light, those attributes into my aura, my spiritual aura, 
and um, in growing each attribute within myself so that I can step more into my potential and realize more of what I'm here to offer and embody that. So that's a very, it's called light work and it's a very specific, direct practice that I do twice a day. Um, And then, you know, there's throughout the day, all day long, just saying, show me thy will rather than my will and allow me the strength and the courage to follow that. I like that. There is so much I want to unpack in that because I think the same way you were talking about, you know, exercising your spirit, exercising your body, some days yoga is right for the body and some days it's cardio and you just have to ask and to pay attention. And so I think that is a powerful lesson and allowing for the evolution of it is in particularly a very, very important thing to uncover. But I wanted to back up to the light work piece. I love that. I know for some of our listeners, they might, you know, be thinking that that's a little new age or a little different. But what strikes me at first when you say that, you know, I think anytime we dismiss something, it's really arrogant. And the first thing that came to mind is, you know, we can't see infrared light. We There's so much unknown to us that we do know exists from a scientific perspective. So can you tell Tell our listeners a little bit about light work, how you found it, and what are the gifts of it? Sure. Well, actually, it traces back over thousands of years to even pre-Egyptian times where the pharaohs were being taught by Hermes how to use this light to increase literally their spiritual strength and speed their spiritual development. So it is far from new age. It is a long held practice by mystics all over the world. And even the yogis recognize through the chakra systems, the different colors of light that come in and how those light vibrations hold a consciousness that relates to human nature and human beings. So that's the brief background, exactly you know, what it does. I, I came to find it as I've come to find all teachers in my life. Um, they are presented to me at the time in which I am ready, and there is no particular pattern or formula to how I find them. And I am never in search of them. I am open to saying, show me where I need to be guided, but I am never, I have never been that one to actively pursue a mentor or a teacher in form. Uh, It's just revealed to me. And so was the case for this Barbara Martin is who I am um, learning with and been studying with for five years now. She's um, out of LA, the Spiritual Arts Institute. And has a book called Change Your Aura, Change Your Life, which is the basic foundation for understanding light work and how it works. And essentially, light work is a spiritual booster shot. The idea is that we have an aura. The aura is um, comprised of many different levels, but the one most impactful is the spiritual aura, where the idea is that all things that manifest in physical form must first have a spiritual energy, must first come from a spiritual source of vibration to bring it to form. And this is what your aura holds. And so when you are actively choosing different colors of light, which have different vibration and which correspond to different divine attributes, you are bringing in what you need to create and manifest what you're called to at this particular time in your life. And those could be, those manifestations could be physical things, or they could be uh, divine attributes within yourself, like faith, like wisdom, like love, like purity, like concentration, service, power, 
Um, and there's different colors for each one of those and many more, prosperity, abundance. And we use those to strengthen ourselves spiritually so that we can manifest what we're here to manifest. I love that. So do you ask what you need each day or twice a day or whenever you do this practice? Yeah, I do. I Sometimes it's very clear to me what I need. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, unfortunately. So yeah, but, me too. Yeah. But yes. And other times I ask, but there's a few colors that are of such the higher vibration that should you be not feeling like you're in need of one particular thing, the white light, for example, is some is the light that literally strengthens our spiritual senses, spiritual seeing, hearing, feeling, sensing, knowing. And all of us could benefit from that at any time until we've become the divine ourselves, until we've become that enlightened being. So if there is ever a doubt of what am I in need of today, I will always ask for the white light to strengthen those spiritual senses. Mm, I like that. So when you ask, I know I, for myself, I know I have spirit guides and I know that you and I have talked about the angelic realm. So can you talk to our listeners about those two different um, realms, if you will, and what's the difference between the two of them? Sure. Well, I, I think it's it's good to just qualify them as working let's say in the same on the same realm working in a cosmic realm or an astral realm to to lead human beings towards a higher evolution of consciousness but they are two different when you talk about spirit guides and angels they are two different consciousnesses and they uh, embody different vibrations and so a spirit guide is actually an enlightened human being Someone who has walked this earth and who has gone through the trials and tribulations and the challenges of being human and they understand the literal feel impact of feeling on the physical plane where an angel typically most of the time has not had a physical embodiment. They come from a direct energy source from the divine where they already know their divinity a human being, a spirit guide, had to learn their divinity. An angel doesn't have to learn that. It's a gift that they've already been given. And so they can use that knowingness in a different way to impact humans who are calling out for their help and their guidance. So is there a way to access one or the other? Absolutely. You can just ask. And okay. if you, you know, if there are specific spirit guides that have taken human form that you feel drawn to, um, then that is exactly who you need to call upon. And then there are, there are several angels. There are four main um, archangels that oversee most of the angelic interaction between the human consciousness and between the angelic realm. And you can always call upon them in the beginning until you become more familiar with the other ones that are working around them. What are the four? I know Michael, Archangel Michael, is that I'm asking? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you would have Archangel Michael, you would have Archangel Gabriel, you would have uh, Archangel Raphael. Okay. And the, the other one is, is um, kind of, let's say, up for dispute. Okay, okay. <laughs> but we could, um, Archangel Jophiel okay. is, a, is a very... Um, popular and accessible archangel. Okay. I like that. How does your personal practice change when you're either afraid, so you know you're coming from a fear-based place, 
or you're seeking a specific answer about mm-hmm. something rather than just allowing you're really craving that knowledge? You know, the first thing I always notice is this um, inner sense of rebellion. It's an archetype. It's an archetype that uh, we all have access to and can influence us. And for me, it's it's this rebellion because I'm I'm frustrated that I don't know and that I can't see and I just want to move forward, right? Yeah. And like we were talking about earlier and, and white knuckle it and use that willpower. And so the first step is saying, hello, rebellion. Hi, rebel. I see you. And I cannot let you thwart this process. So that means usually the rebels telling me don't meditate, don't pray, don't do your light work, just sit around and distract yourself. Really? Mm, Okay. You know, so the first step is saying, um, hi, rebel, I see you. Yes. Okay. Thank you. But you're not serving me. I must bypass you and then take some action. And that means just sit myself down in my meditation chair and just say, I'm meditating now, even if I'm not feeling anything, right? even if I'm not purely in the vibration, just doing that to negate the rebel, right? Yeah. And the next step for me is writing. Um, ah. Excuse me. Journaling is um, a great way to separate what is mental chatter from true intuitive guidance. And usually, if you reread what you've written, you'll start to see and sensitize yourself to what is, in fact, intuition, divine guidance, and what's just the babble of the mind. And so that helps me really separate and understand what's influencing me at any given time. And it usually leads the way very non-linearly to what I need to work on or what I need to clear or what I need to release to open up the next door. And then there's also a practice, of course, with light work, which the silver ray of divine intelligence is used to remove any sluggish or unenlightened thinking or vibration from the aura, allowing a divine intelligence to come and touch your third eye and to illuminate what you can't see and to see the reality of what you are adhering to rather than what you want to see. I love that. I got calmer just as you said that. <laughs> yeah. But the writing, I think that that is so true. I don't know if you have done a practice called morning pages where you just sit down and you do train of thought writing for a period of time, 10 or 15 minutes. But that for me always seems to work. And I wonder what the difference is if I just sit there and think versus if I am writing it. Like, why does it produce such a different level of clarity? Well, you know, yes, I, I am familiar with that practice and did it for years when I did The Artist's Way probably 12 or yeah. 13 years ago, right? And what I think the difference of just sitting and thinking versus writing, writing still requires you to slow down a bit. There's a bit oh. more of awareness and physical connection to the moment when you take your pen and you place it on the paper and you have to watch your fingers in your hand control the pen. It's bringing you more into the moment versus just thinking, which can be so erratic and so rapid that you can't even pay attention to all the thoughts sometimes because they're so flashing. But writing brings you a little bit more into the physical reality of what you're thinking. That's so true. It's so funny you say that. I was doing a morning pages the other day and I could not write fast enough. Fast and I would enough. yeah, mm-hmm. get move on to another thought and I'm like, damn it, I have to circle back and be on this one. And I really wish this, you know, I was quicker at this, but you're absolutely right. It does keep you right in the moment. And that teaches you concentration. 
Yeah. And- which, which is something that, you know, is really going by the wayside these days because of all the rapid fire engagement we have with so many different sources of information. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that. What do you think has been the biggest spiritual lesson you have learned to date? Well, it's funny. I would have said something different um, yesterday morning at about 8.30 a.m., but uh, as of as of yesterday at 9.45 a.m., my greatest lesson to date is thy will be done. Uh, excuse me if I get a little bit emotional, no, but I promise no. I'll be able to speak clearly. Um, my grandmother died unexpectedly yesterday, and I always envisioned that I would be the one holding her hand through the transition and there was a lot of clear, clear vision for that of that moment. And yesterday, she, uh, when she passed away, she was saying, "Don't leave me." And no one was able to get to her side, no family member in time. And so, in many ways, I feel as if she she died alone from a, a human perspective. Certainly not the angelic realm. I'm confident they were there to guide her, but from the physical plane, she died alone. And it was a belief of mine that no human should ever, or any any being, right. should die alone. And that's something I've held very clear, dear to me. And I've been present for many deaths, not family members, but others that I've cared about. And it's a, such a beautiful process to be able to hold that space for someone and give them that needed courage or needed love in those last few moments. And so you know, what yesterday taught me is... It wasn't thy will for me or anyone else to be there. And there's a reason that she was on her own. And that reason is beyond my ability to reason. But nonetheless, it's a lesson in saying, just because this is what I want and this is what I saw doesn't necessarily mean that's how it's going to be. And if I can just continue to surrender to thy will and not mine... Uh, I believe I'll be able to live a more fulfilling and service-given life. But it doesn't make it very easy at times. No, not at all. Hey, Moving Forward listeners. If you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at BeMovingForward.com. And how do you personally draw yourself to that place of acceptance? Because I think we have all been there, and, and my heart goes out to you and your family, but we've all been there when we want something different and we realize the right reality, and just bridging that gap seems so monumental. So, how do you get there, and what is your practice? Um, I, for me, it started several, you know, years ago, over a decade ago in literally training my mind Yeah, uh, and, and starting there because that's been the whole guiding force. I'm a very, um, scientific, analytic, linear person. That's mm-hmm. how I've been my entire life, which is why I, I had no faith and I had no spiritual life for so long because I just didn't believe, think it was possible given my mental understanding of the world. And so for me, it started with this level of acceptance starts with just saying, reprogramming the mind. Yeah, there is something out there. There's a force, a power, a source, a intelligence beyond just you, Melissa Love. And you know what really helped me with that is reading about Albert Einstein, mm-hmm. one of the smartest people arguably ever to yeah. exist. 
And he got himself to a place towards, you know, the, the sunset years where he said, there are parts of this universe that could never be explained. And that's where the magic lies. And that's what I now am going to pursue. And that was, he became a mystic. He became a proclaimed mystic. Yep. And so that really helped me because if the smartest, most intelligent man to exist could admit that there is something of greater intelligence orchestrating this whole system of reality, then I could probably get there too. Mm. And so it was just changing the way I think. And so in regards to this particular situation, it's saying with, again, a humility and, and, and a surrender, there must be something I can't see. So instead of resisting it and getting angry and fighting it, I'll just allow it. I'll just accept it. And then when that mental wall is broken down and that humility is allowed to permeate, there's an openness in the heart, a softness in the heart, a love in the heart that begins to generate. And that really connects you more deeply with all expressions of life. I love, I'm very much in love with that answer because I think I'm very similar in the sense that I don't know that I am a linear thinker by nature, but I've certainly been rewarded for that in this yeah. lifetime, right? But there's yeah. such an arrogance in thinking that, well, if you haven't proved it, it doesn't exist because especially from a scientific perspective, we're proving new things every day and there's so much that is unknown and so much that is not heard by the human ear and not seen by the human eye that we do know exists. And how could this all be for naught and orchestrated in this way without such a higher power guiding us. Absolutely. Mm. So what do you think is the point of human incarnation? To learn to connect with the divine within you, that part of you that is literally an aspect of divinity, and then how to express that and use that as a means and service to your brothers and sisters. Hmm. I like that. I like the expanded piece of that where learning to connect and learning to express because that's a piece that I think we don't always do every day. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. We don't want to be authentic and we don't want to be vulnerable. And we're so clear about shutting those pieces down. Is there a way or a process that you allow yourself to show up more fully. And I know we spoke about something at a workshop that you gave several months ago about being more unconditionally loving every day. Yeah. How do you do that? And I guess I'll leave the question there. But you know, when we go out into the world and we do have people that are coming at us with their, you know, anger or their chaos or their madness or whatever, how do you maintain a boundary but still be loving towards them? I think the the first practice is to draw into your mind the importance of seeking to understand rather than to be understood. Ooh, yeah. And so if you pause and you put yourself in a witness perspective and say, what am I witnessing in this human being right now that's before me? And chances are, like you said, you're with, you're witnessing anger. You're witnessing mm -hmm. jealousy, you're witnessing hurt, you're witnessing shame, you're witnessing guilt, uh, whatever it may be. There's a reason why this person is expressing this and chances are it didn't start with you and it's not going to end with you. 
So if you understand that they have been wounded and they have been harmed or they have been taught how to act this way and that it's not personal to you, there's then the ability to graduate your feelings to this place of, I'm going to just send you love because I don't want to contribute and further your wounding and I don't want to engage the energy that you're transmitting to me because if I engage it, I open it up so that it may funnel into me and then I am brought down into that vibration. So I am going to understand that you are hurt. I'm going to raise my consciousness to a place of divine guidance, of divine inspiration, of divine love and say, I'd like to reflect love back to you. And that might mean that you have to walk away. That might mean you don't belong in relationship with this person, that you don't belong in even interacting energetically in this moment with this person. But it prevents you from engaging at the same level of vibration and joining them. Absolutely. And you feel even worse. That was really beautiful. (laughs) Before we go, so if our listeners wanted to learn more about you and Mosaic and your journey, are you available on social media? Is there a way they can reach you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I'm 100% open. All questions, any questions can be emailed to me. I love to write. So really, you know, I can have a direct email at love at exploremosaic.com. I'm Melissa Love Glidden on Facebook. And then we, of course, have Mosaic Yoga on uh, Instagram and on Facebook as well. And exploremosaic.com, which will be launching a new website. Oh, very nice. I like it. Yeah. Good. Well, we'll have all this information available on our website as well. Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. It was really an honor. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kristen. And listeners, thank you. If you want to learn more about Melissa or any of our guests, please go to bemovingforward.com. Until next time, Satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and bemovingforward.com. All rights reserved.